0: I don't know what kind of tracker we would have to shove up George Soros in order to make sure we know exactly who he's hobnobbing with. There's no way to talk about the global order, the globalists, without also talking about the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, and of course, the puppet master behind all of it klaus schwab so klaus schwab uh, <laughs> he's the founder of world economic forum you could not devise a more villainous looking villain this guy never smiles he looks he looks sort of like um Rupert Murdoch, but more evil, if that's even possible. Like Rupert Murdoch just wants money. This guy appears to want something more. And that is very scary to a lot of people.
1: The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion and equality now is the historical moment the time not only to fight severe virus but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era in short we need a great reset so people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, The the, uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Why not to tie government aid to the green economy which we have to create? And Schwab predicts... As capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. All of this, Schwab says, is redefining what it means to be human. Schwab also writes gleefully that sensors, memory switches and circuits can be encoded in human gut bacteria. And that smart dust, arrays of full computers with antennas can now organize themselves inside the body.
0: I really wanted to dig into this and give it a fair hearing because I know there's a lot of people on the more conspiratorial side that are running around going, the great reset, they have a global plan for all of us. And I'm like, all right, Is there truth to this? Let me look into it. I did a lot of reading, a lot of reading. I feel like Trump talked to a lot of people. People are saying, people, I don't do a Trump impression. But the initial reading that I had is Klaus Schwab is a glorified event organizer. And when I say glorified, in the most lofty sort of way, because what he succeeded in doing is bringing under the same umbrella Every major corporation, every multi-billionaire, every global leader, and putting them into the same rooms at Davos and all of these other events. It is, on the surface, a very successful club. But whenever you have a club like this, and people with this much money or power rubbing elbows crazy stuff happens. If you have a corner where Bill Gates is talking to Justin Trudeau and someone from Pepsi, within minutes, they can shift capital, millions or billions of dollars towards a particular issue or cause or endeavor. So just rubbing elbows in this one setting can move mountains and quickly because Bill Gates doesn't have to do anything. Bill Gates makes a, sends a text message and lots of stuff happens. People get killed. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure no one gets killed that we know about. So you can't discount, even if it's incidental, the rubbing of elbows of people of this caliber with this much money, power, and influence. That doesn't mean they're all going to agree with each other or have the same agenda. But it does mean that we have to confront the reality that we can't stop powerful people from interacting with each other. Like, I don't know what kind of tracker we would have to shove up George Soros in order to make sure we know exactly who he's hobnobbing with, or whether he's doing it on Zoom, or whether he's physically at a meeting. I don't know what that technology is. I don't know what the legal justification for it would be. And it's also naive to think that powerful people won't eventually run in the same circles they will why do you think we have all these photos of uh trump with uh, all these democrats in new york because he had to pay them off so and he told you about it at the debates that is the game that's why you have photos of every celebrity with harvey weinstein that's why you have all these billionaires and and politicians with epstein And I do think the U.S. has a better variation of it. It's still not great because you have, you know, all these people who are more powerful than nations. I mean, the the influence Bill Gates has is way bigger than what uh, Finland has, for example. At least here, Jeff Bezos had to build a company that delivers stuff that you want, whereas in other countries like in Russia, they just got in because... Putin trusted them and he gave them TV stations to control. One is top down. The other one's bottom up. So I I would argue ours is better. But that said, we do need to reduce that power. And I'm not sure what mechanism will stop that. And I don't want to leave the impression that only bad things can come out of these powerful people talking or interacting. Collaboration is good. Sharing of ideas is good. You can solve a lot of global problems. But there is a first principle here. And that first principle is anything good that comes out of those meetings will first and foremost have to benefit them or at the very least not harm them. Otherwise, it doesn't get done. That's just the reality. So it is a mechanism for keeping whoever's in power in power and in whatever position they're in. It is a calcifying mechanism. There are also a lot of great arguments against my own (laughs) innocuous reading is this young global leaders program.
1: Uh, If if I look at our stakeholders, we have business, uh, of course, uh, as a very important audience. And we have politics. We have uh, uh, continuous uh, uh, partnerships with many governments around the world. And, of course, we have NGOs, uh, we have trade unions, we have all those different parts. Media, of course. Media, of course. And very important, um, experts and scientists and academia. Because if we are looking at the future, I think we should look at new solutions, and the new solutions will be very much driven by technological uh, developments. And we even have uh, you even have religious leaders, right? We have religious leaders. We have social entrepreneurs, very important social entrepreneurs. And another very important uh, constituency are our young global leaders because we feel um, today's problems need fresh solutions, creative solutions. Our young global leaders are selected by the top editors-in-chief around the world. Okay. And I mention now names like (laughs) Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on. They all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of of, uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Great right. form, and that's
2: true in Argentina too. Wow! Yeah, sorry, that's true in Argentina as well.
1: It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now, mm-hmm. I'm a the
0: President. Trudeau, Macron, Zuckerberg are all graduates, so a lot of world leaders are graduates of this program. I don't know what they teach. They didn't send me the PDFs. (laughs) I have no idea what the specific curriculum is. But you have to imagine if it's a program, there is a certain ethos. It's like it's like if you have chicken and you're going to cook it in a broth. When you drop it in, it's going to take on the flavor of the seasonings of the broth. So when you drop these chickens in, (laughs) they're going to take on some of that World Economic Forum seasoning. The sponsors of this program include uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Google, and a bunch of other corporate sponsors. So are they being indoctrinated or, or are they too smart to be indoctrinated and they're just, it's a prestige kind of thing? I don't know. Anyone that's financing anything has a reason for doing it. The other ominous thing about World Economic Forum is their favorite (laughs) Is he a mascot? He's their favorite thinker, Yuval Noah Harari. He's an Israeli guy who has written some huge bestsellers. Sapiens is one of them. And the only reason I haven't read Sapiens, well, two reasons. The first is I was writing something on a similar topic and I don't want to pollute my thinking with someone else's thoughts. The second reason is I've watched a few of his videos and I find him dark- Orwellian and
3: fatalistic. Data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Now, in the past, many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, But nobody understood biology well enough, and nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, This will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity. This will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life, four billion years ago. For four billion years, nothing fundamental changed. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design, and the intelligent design of our clouds. The IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste. People could look back in a hundred years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. My brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me or to some corporation or to the government or perhaps to the human collective? Humans are now hackable animals you know, the the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over.
0: Now, Harari is a favorite, not just of the World Economic Forum. He is a huge favorite in Silicon Valley. He's invited to speak for tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, at each of these companies and tells them what the future might look like. And guess what? A lot of these engineers are building towards that future. And if this is the plan, you almost have to wonder one of two things. One, how insane it is that they would actually say these things out loud if it is the plan, because it is dark and ominous. Or How could it possibly be the plan if they're saying it out loud? But whichever side you end up on, that confusion is the point. Because once you're not sure and once you're guessing or you're fighting with someone else online, one who's more conspiracy minded and the other one who's like, no, this is all nonsense, whatever. Once you're in that mode. Your eyes off the ball. You're not questioning these people. It's the same thing that we do with race. It's the same thing we do with abortion. It's the same thing we do with all these hot button issues, all these uh, political footballs. They're designed to distract from the economic questions and the questions of power and influence those are the only ones that matter And that's why Trump was a threat to some extent but he wasn't focused or organized Bernie was much more of a threat uh, and he had to be taken out and swept into a powerless position somewhere in the administration distraction is the strategy are these things true some of them maybe you know The idea of free will, for example, you don't have to go all the way to saying we have no free will, but you can go somewhere where I'm at. And I did this in more detail in an episode called Why Even Musk Can't Trump the Inevitable. I listen to it from time to time. It's really interesting. And I lay out this idea of free will. And I'll just give you a quick overview. The idea is that when we drive, we're driving on paved roads. We're no longer driving uh, through the forest or creating our own paths or hacking things with a hatchet. We're going on the bridges and the paved roads. Our path, to some extent, is predictable. And the same thing happens with other railings, whether it's phones or whether it's medical technologies. Once those things, once those rails are installed, we are going to be running on those rails. Just this constraint of choices is a reduction of free will. The other argument for or against this Orwellian view of World Economic Forum is it's hard to know where influence ends and corruption begins. I suspect there are a lot of places where the interests of Bill Gates, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, and the military diverge from ours. However, they're baked into our system. Both the economic advisor for Kamala Harris and the economic advisor for Joe Biden, both of them are former BlackRock executives. Under Bush and Obama, they were all former Goldman Sachs executives. So there's a heavy influence of Wall Street on our economic decisions. Also, Bill Gates has disproportionate power over a vaccine policy. How did he get it? Well, he's been involved in it and he's been financing it all around the world. I can't tell whether people in Africa without Bill Gates would have no vaccines or more vaccines because he's protecting patents. I don't know anyone who can give you a definitive answer because I think they'd be lying. The biggest way in which these billionaires and corporations, uh, military contractors, all of them function, is by funding NGOs. NGOs are non-government organizations. (laughs) It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch of think tanks. It's a bunch of advocacy groups. Some of them are publications or half publications. And their main job is lobbying for certain causes. Now, they're never presented that way. They're presented in corporate media. They're presented as experts. They're like, hey, you know, Jill Smith is here from the Atlantic Council to discuss their new research paper on peace in Eastern Europe. And you're like, oh, the Atlantic Council. It sounds like the Atlantic magazine, probably like someone who wears elbow pads and a, and a blazer and it has cocktail parties like a professor. It sounds so congenial, but it's not. These experts are paid and all the research they produce is designed to further narratives that they push through corporate media. And that's why you see corporate media going against all of these independent voices that gain influence or power. They are a threat to the narratives. A perfect example is the Atlantic Council is an NGO And its people are go-to experts on TV. And they are backed by some of the biggest military contractors and pro-war interests and foreign entities. They're sponsored by the Embassy of the United Arab Emirates. And they want U.S. military equipment, military protection to protect their oil wealth. Because without it, who knows who will invade? Saddam Hussein? Oh, we lost Saddam Hussein tragic, tragic accident. These guys are out there acting like they're impartial and they're not. They want conflict because that is how inventory gets sold. Either way, the people are not represented. The people who pay are represented. Another NGO that falls into this category is BLM. So uh, The Economist just reported that BLM raised $10.8 billion that is unaccounted for. Uh, Although they did find the organizer of BLM, she bought a bunch of houses and uh, another woman who uh, is one of the organizers, uh, she used money for personal expenses. But The reality is there were some small grassroots organizations, but the entire movement got co-opted by, and this is where I sound like, uh, George Soros has been paying off BLM. That's actually true. (laughs) They have been paying them off. Uh, So uh, George Soros, um, let me look at my list. Facebook, Nike, Walmart. So all these giant corporations funneled tons of money in. Why did they do it? They don't do it because they care so deeply about the cause. That would be insane to believe. If you believe that, you are nuts and you need serious therapy. The reason anyone pays for anything is because something that they're paying for is in their interest. So here, the goal was to disrupt the Trump organization, to create controlled chaos uh, under the guise and illusion of grassroots organization, which this was not. And you know that because no one's taking BLM's calls right now, and media is suddenly uh, allowed to publish all of these debunking stories, whereas before you couldn't make a peep, you couldn't say anything about the organization itself. So you can see how the wheels of this machine turn and how you have media that is complicit in sending certain messages, because in this case, Trump had to go. It's not what he was doing. It's who he was. He was a threat because he was uh, an ego. Uh, It's not that he was so competent that he was going to do scary things. It's just that exactly what Larry Fink said in his quote, uh, the the guy from BlackRock. You want certainty if you're in business. And Trump did not give them that. So the establishment, right, left, and this is why the left-right paradigm makes no sense, because everyone alike wanted him gone. And this was a way to create the kind of chaos that hopefully helps unsettle the population and oust him. But the service that Trump performed, not through anything that he actually did, but he pulled the veil off this false decorum that we have, you know how the politicians get on stage and go, "The American people deserve, blah blah, you know and, and, and meanwhile, they're, they're taking bribes, they're, you know they're launching missiles, all kinds of. Craziness is happening in the background. And they just stand to your face and lie. And he called them out on it because he's a bullshitter. And in my world, bullshitter trumps liar because a bullshitter is trying to sell you on something. The liar already did the misdeed, and they're hoping they get away with it with their lies. So, so in my you know crazy worldview, that makes more sense. But I don't think we ever go back. To seeing that world again and believe me the establishment is trying that's why they're going after all of these outliers and anyone who uh, develops a power base or an audience like Joe Rogan because it's in their interest to cripple them because they need to control the narrative for this entire thing to work and NGOs are a huge part of narrative building because that's the experts that they put on TV and that's how the stories get woven and uh, the sooner we wake up to this the smarter it will be. And hopefully, after a period of turmoil, we'll be in a better place. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, Please share it with others, review it on iTunes, really helps with visibility for the show and sign up for the newsletter, stevefactor.com, sign up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McFuture, only five bucks a month. It's a great way to not only support the show, but get tons of member only material. There's a new episode that's going to be posted right after this one later this week. That's it. I'm Steve Factor. See you next time on the McFuture. generals eventually go to work for military contractors, or they go to work for these think tanks that advocate for war because you need to get rid of old inventory to buy new inventory. You can't have big stockpiles. So Ukraine is a blessing for them because they're like, oh, look at all the stuff we're unloading, all these javelin missiles, all this other stuff. The more stuff that gets destroyed or left behind in Afghanistan, the more they can sell. And these companies did something brilliant. These military contractors, they scattered their operations operations across 48 states. So now no senator or congressman wants to cut those budgets because it's like, hey, you want to lose jobs in your state? And both Democrats and Republicans are on board. Very few vote against uh, budget increases. We just passed the biggest one ever. And they finance the campaigns of the politicians. The politicians are invested in those companies. Some of them get inside information on deals that come through and trade on that knowledge. We are dealing with a very embedded, devious force. Here's President Dwight Eisenhower warning us about the military-industrial complex. I know you might have heard this, but it's short and it's really worth hearing again.
2: We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. The total influence economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, By the military-industrial complex, the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes.
0: We've done every single thing wrong that he warned us about. And we are now living with an entity whose only way of making money is making sure people die. And that is a very crazy way to live, especially if you're a Ukrainian.